0: Hey, I want to welcome you to the Venture Church podcast. This is Chris and uh this week's going to be a little bit different than normal weeks because uh, well unfortunately it won't be a live preaching of our message. We had a issue with our recording, a uh, corrupt file that couldn't be recovered and uh but you know I got I got enough messages asking about this sermon that I thought, you know what? I'll sit down And kind of teach through it a little bit different style. And so uh, thanks for for jumping in and and joining me on the podcast. And I hope this is is good for you. We're continuing this teaching series through Jesus's prayer in John chapter 17. And uh, as I was getting ready for it, I I came across some pretty funny stuff online uh, that I thought I could open up with. It's this idea of what what do we pray about? Jesus prayed. What do we pray about? Uh, Kids pray for the darndest things couple of prayers I found from kids online that were good. Here's one from a kid named Dean. Dean says, Dear God, you don't have to worry about me. I always look both ways. Um, Another little girl, Sarah, she says, Dear God, will you please change the taste of asparagus? It's gross. Uh, Here's one of my favorites. Jane has a suggestion. Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have now? (laughs) let's be honest, that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty good one. Um, so many good things. Uh, what do you pray about? Th- there's so many things we can pray about. And as we're reading through this prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, it's, it's cool to see that though he had a lot of big things on his mind, he, he's about to go to the cross. He's about to die. What's that going to be like? I mean, he's God in the flesh. He's got some people on his mind. And so both uh, this week and week four of this teaching series, we talk about those people. Um, If you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm in John chapter 17 today, and we're going to pick up at verse 6. quick recap on where we've been in John uh, chapter 17, starting at verse 1, our first week of this series. We just talked about the first couple of words Jesus utters as He prays, and He says this phrase, Father, the hour has come. And in that week, we just talked about Jesus' awareness of the hugeness of the task he's about to undertake and, and the fact that this hour has been being prepared for hundreds of years and Jesus knows his place in that plan is a really cool moment. Uh, in the second week of the series, we get into Jesus praying actually for himself. And he actually prays that through this, that his glory will be revealed and that kind of what's going on under the surface and who Jesus really is is going to really shine there. And so we, we see Jesus praying for that. This week, we kind of shift the focus away from what Jesus is thinking about to who Jesus is thinking about. And a lot of times when we think about prayer, we think about it as kind of a a vertical exchange, like me lifting up my prayers about me and my life to God, an up-down vertical prayer thing. And that's true. That's a very real part of prayer. That's really what it is in its essence. But I wonder how often you think about prayer as a horizontal act, as in instead of just looking up from my soul, I'm looking around me to see other people in my life that I could be praying for. And that's what we see Jesus doing here as we pick up his prayer in John chapter 17, verse six. So we're going to break down verses six through eight for you right now. It's a pretty powerful prayer. And it's a prayer about Jesus' disciples. Jesus's disciples are literally about to change the world. And I'm not talking about like a flippant way, like, you know, we say this kind of stuff all all the time, man. Uh, Have you ever had pineapple on your pizza? They're going to change your life, dude. Um, One, A, if you've never put pineapple on your pizza, you should totally do it uh, because it's amazing. It's really good. But uh, sometimes the things that we say are going to change the world don't. Um, The iPhone is going to change the world. I mean, it it did. It did. But, you know, it's not going to be a long-lasting change. I mean, it's going to be something different. Um, And maybe that's a bad example. I don't know. My point is, the things that the disciples are about to do are going to change the face of cultures on this planet. And it's going to be major. And so when Jesus begins to pray for them, he's fully aware of that. Let's just break that. Starting at verse 6. He starts out by saying this. He says, Father, I have revealed you to those who you gave me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. And two quick things about this verse here. Um, we can learn some things about the disciples through this prayer that Jesus prays. The first thing I think we learn is about God's plan for these people. Like, I hope that you know that God has a plan, like a purpose for your life, at least. He wants you to be and do uh, certain things. I believe He's created some of us uniquely to do things better than other people do those certain things, you know? But also, as I look back through history, I, I can't help but believe that God actually has kind of more specifically important pur- purposes for some people. Like we talked about in, in week one about Abraham and, and David and just this huge role that they play in, in playing forth God's plan for redeeming the world. And I, I think that's, that's big. That's huge that God chose them to do that task. Mary, the mother of Jesus, he chose her out of all the young ladies. He chose her because she was apparently uniquely gifted. And when he, when he talks about choosing people, there's this concept we get in the Bible called adoption. That God has adopted us as his children. There are several families at our church who have adopted children and you know, there's something to be said about adopting a kid. I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent. I've got two kids. I love my kids dearly. But I didn't choose them. Um, they just kind of happened. <laughs> uh, but for an adoptive parent, like, you go into that kid's life and you, and you look at them. And you learn some things about them. And then you say, yeah, I, I choose you. I want to be your mom. I want to be your dad. And that is the attitude that God has towards us. We are adopted. We become heirs to his kingdom. It's amazing and this language that we just saw about the disciples as Jesus prays he says Let, he says I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Thousands and millions of people on the planet when Jesus was here. Yet he chooses these living disciples. I believe that this prayer is probably for you know, all the disciples that Jesus had. There were, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that were following Jesus faithfully. But specifically, I believe it was for the 12 disciples. The ones who were going to go on to complete this mission. And we're going to talk about that mission a little bit more in just a minute. But he says, You have chosen them out of the world and given them to me. And then he says this, They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have obeyed your word. Obedience has got to be one of God's biggest goals for us in life. I mean, think about it. It, was, it was disobedience that caused Adam and Eve to have to leave the Garden of Eden. It was disobedience. Yet it is through Christ that we can learn to be obedient to, to God's call in our life. And it's so much there about obedience. And, and the disciples, they got that. The next thing we'll learn about the disciples is in his prayer in verse 7. He says, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And this is a wake-up call. It's, it's huge. I mean, it's one thing to follow somebody just because you like them or because you know they got you know cool you know, music or they dress cool. They got a lot of followers on Instagram or something like that's cool. That's another thing entirely to follow somebody because you know that they are from God, and that is like the core claim of Christianity: that the person that we follow is from God. In fact, that He is God in the flesh. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And they recognize the source of all of this is God the Father, the Creator. When we recognize that everything comes from God and we focus our lives towards honoring Him, there will be blessing. And I think it's important for us to understand that the opposite is true. That when we don't recognize that things are from God and we don't focus towards honoring him with our lives if instead we act like everything is from man there's not blessing um in fact natural law is entropy that everything is in you know declining to a state state of you know rust and 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 death that's entropy that's what happens when we believe that everything you know comes from from man or, or from you know, nature or somewhere. Not God. And the disciples get that. And Jesus, he knows that about them. And so he, he's kind of giving them props in his prayer. Um, keep it on in verse 8. He said, For I gave them the words you gave me. And they accepted them. And they knew with certainty that I came from you. There's that again. And they believed that you sent me. Again, this is a further affirmation. This was the cornerstone message of Christianity and it continues to be to this day that Jesus came from God and that he died and that he rose from the dead that's eventually going to be the message that they teach and that anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life the disciples got that they got that it wasn't programming it wasn't their perfect attendance at disciple meetings you know it was it was that everything was from God and that Jesus was from God and this whole plan it was all God's and without it it was a waste so then we move on to kind of part two of this, this portion of the prayer. In verse nine, Jesus says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. There's a huge revelation here in verse nine. Just quick pause. Jesus, Jesus has been on a mission. He's on a, been on a mission. He came from heaven to come live on earth. And he's lived as a human and he's been like the center of the attention. He's been the kind of the CEO of the movement. But he realizes that his part in the mission is coming to an end and that the mission is about to be passed off. Later, he's going to tell these guys that they are going to be the ones who need to go into all the world and make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And surely I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you. But you're going to be the ones who need to go. That's fast forwarding. That's a bit of a spoiler. That's coming in Matthew chapter 28. But, but here in John 17, he says, I pray for you. I'm, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these guys. Why? Verse 10, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. All glory has come to me through them. I'm praying for these guys because they're going to be the ones who have to convince the world of what I've done. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. We'll keep keep going because it's going to come more and more clear as we get to the end of this thing. The idea of Jesus' glory coming through his followers is something that we talk about every week here at our church. We say that we need to go and shine light in dark places. We're told that when we do our good deeds before man, they'll see it, and they'll give glory to God in heaven because of it. But let's keep reading it at verse 11. Verse 11 says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I'm coming to you. He's praying, so God, I'm coming to you. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may see, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except for the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. That's a whole other can of worms. That's Judas Iscariot. But he's saying, listen, while I was with them, I protected them. But Lord, I'm leaving. I'm coming to you. So, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. I saw a video um, online the other day of my my buddy Wayne. Uh, He's got a daughter who I guess just turned 16. And it was a video of him watching his daughter get into the car by herself for the first time to drive off uh, without him in the car. And so, you know, we've all done this. You know, she had done the driver's permit and you know mom or dad or whoever was in the car with her and and sh- and, and, and you know guiding her and protecting her no oh, put on the brakes and use her signal and and 10 and 2 you know all that but this is the moment where she gets in the car on her own and so she does she gets in the car she shuts the door she puts the key in the ignition you know she starts the car and he's filming the whole thing and it's kind of you know there's a there's like a there's like a, a certain you can you, you just almost feel the the excitement of the moment she pulls up to the side of the road uh it's a road with a lot of traffic so she's got to wait for a break in the traffic and he just stands there and he's just watching her and he's silent and if you know my buddy Wayne I mean it's uh he's not a guy that that you would think is silent often you know he's love telling stories and he's funny and he's he's but he's just like watching her and then he says three words as she pulls off into traffic that, that just like <laughs> broke me it just broke me when he said these three words she pulls into traffic and then He says, there she goes. Oh, man, Uh, I'm a dad. I got two kids. You know, I just, I get it. There she goes. Come on, Wayne. Break my heart, man. You know, Jesus has been with these guys for a long time, and he's protected them, and he's been with them, and he's guided them, and he's taught them, but he knows that there's a moment where he's got to let them go. That moment's coming quick. He's got to let them pull in the traffic. There they go. So what does he do? He prays. He says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Like I'm not always going to be able to be with them. So, Father, protect them by the power of your name. The power of the name is huge. God's ability to simply be with us through his Holy Spirit is huge. Um, parents, a little side lesson here. Uh, if there is a prayer that I could handpick for you to pray over your kids as they grow up, it might be it might be the first half of this thing that Jesus says. Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me. Because we're not always going to be able to be with them. Um, That's just I don't know. That's big. That's deep. But what is it he's praying about? Like what's about to happen here that the disciples need prayer for? Well, I said these guys are going to change the world. Like literally change the world. Let's talk about where they've been and where they're about to go. So when Jesus first finds these guys, I mean they're they got plans. They are. They have jobs. When he discovers John and Peter and Andrew, James, like they're fishermen. They're out in their boats. Jesus calls out, Hey, lay down your nets. Come follow me. I'll make you a fishers of men. And they do. They lay down their nets and they, they come follow him. Uh, he finds this guy named Matthew. Matthew's got a you know cushy job with the state. He's a tax collector. But he goes to Matthew and he's like, Look, come follow me. And, and Matthew does. He leaves his job behind and he comes and he follows them. And, and one after the other, he calls these guys out of whatever vocation and life, calling that they had and he challenges them come and follow me and learn from me and they do that's the crazy thing they do and they're serious about it for over three years they follow him and they're with him while he's you know eating his breakfast and he's and he's talking about life and he's teaching them these lessons and he's traveling and he's he's encountering people he's he's, they see all of these things this is the thing that, I don't know if you've thought about it, it hit me as I thought about it. These disciples, these original twelve, they were the entourage for a celebrity. Jesus, when when Jesus went to some of these towns, tens of thousands of people would show up just to hear Him teach, just to get a glimpse of Him. And guess who was standing like right there with Him, right wing, left wing, standing right beside Him. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, Matthew, Philip, Bartholomew, James, Jude, Simon, Judas, These are the ones. They're standing there with him. But things shift. Jesus is going to get uh, arrested by some Jewish religious leaders who are his enemies. And and we're going to, after that, we're going to see these disciples scatter and hide because they, they realize, oh, shoot, like, maybe we were wrong. Maybe we shouldn't have followed Jesus. Maybe we, I don't know, maybe we should just, maybe we should hide maybe we're going to be found, you know, uh, guilty of something too, and maybe this Jesus guy wasn't who he thought he was. Can you imagine the amount of doubt that went through these guys' minds after Jesus gets arrested, particularly after they watch him be crucified, as he dies, they bury their friend Jesus? They're depressed. But then something happens. Oh, glorious day, dude, something happens. Jesus raises from the dead and he appears to them and he teaches them and he proves who they are. Not only that, but he appears to uh, you know, 500 other people so that they don't you know, think they're crazy. And they're convinced that Jesus has risen from the dead. And it's a game changer because then they get this commission to go carry on Jesus's mission as he goes off into heaven. And he says, go into the world and make disciples. So they do. Check out what they do. Philip ends up going to Africa. He goes to Ethiopia. We see a story about that in the book of Acts. A tradition says that he also went to North Africa and becomes the disciple, the apostle, who takes the church, the kingdom of God, to Africa. Thomas takes the gospel to India. And many believe even further east than that. Peter, he goes all the way to Rome. Andrew, to Russia. Russia and on and on the stories go of these disciples literally taking the message to the world and the movements that they started in those regions still continue to this day we are the fruit of that they carry on the mission of Jesus now here's the thing it changes lives it changes cultures. It changes families. It frees people from slavery, both uh, figuratively and literally. It's eventually going to affect the entire way that our world operates. But the message was counter-cultural. It wasn't accepted by everybody. Why did Jesus pray that the Father would protect them? Well, they're going to have to go to these places and tell people, like, uh, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to forsake any other gods but the one true God. Yeah, I'm sure that was real popular when Thomas went to India and spoke to a group of people who believed in thousands of gods. Or as Philip goes into Africa and works with tribal people who perhaps worship the spirits of their ancestors, but man, it's going to shape their lives, but it's not going to be popular. You know, following Jesus, it means the cessation of sinful habits to begin to live a holy life. I don't know about you, but that's difficult for me. And it's not popular for many people. And these people, these disciples are going to have to go tell people that. You know, it means living a life of humility instead of selfishness. It means living a life of generosity instead of a life of greed. It means a life of love instead of a life of hate. It means a life of reconciliation instead of a life of retaliation. The message of Jesus changed lives. It changed cultures. It changed families. But the disciples paid the price for being the agents of change. History and church tradition tell us that every single one of the first disciples would die a martyr's death because of their faith in the message that they were teaching. Most of those guys died in gruesome ways. Crucifixion, beheading, being stabbed with spears. Jesus prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. So that they may be one, as we are one. And Jesus has his prayer answered. He does. And it might not seem like it. As I work through this my own self, yeah, I keep wrestling with, you know, my own instinct and then what I also know to be true just from studying it on my own and, and learning and growing, but it doesn't seem safe. These guys died; they were persecuted. Jesus is going to get to that. A few, uh, a few weeks ago, my grandmother died. We called her Nanny, and Nanny had, uh, she she gave us this great gift. That as she got older, particularly in the last couple of years, as she. Began to kind of lose her mental state, and she she saw that she wasn't going to live forever. We all know that. Um, she would pull us aside, each one of the grandkids and 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 her kids, and, and she would just tell stories. And um, one habit she had, and one one collection that she had was, she had this collection of tons of family memorabilia, mostly pictures and stories. And she would pull us aside and she would show us the pictures of an ancestor of ours, I mean, generations ago, like some really ancient pictures, like the earliest known photography, you know. And she would show us the people and she would tell us their names and where they were from and their story, what they did for a living. And it was so cool. We we got to, it was like going in a time machine and, and learning about these things. And another thing she collected were these memoirs from family members uh, of of, you know, Generations and generations ago, one one that she sent me in the mail was a, um, it included a boat manifest with the name of, as far as I know, my oldest known relative who immigrated to America in the 1700s. I think that's right. It might have been early 1800s. That's wild, dude. I was blown away when I saw this guy's name and I got to see a little piece of his story. It was like it was like going back in time. It was a gift that my nanny gave me. And the, the reason I tell the story, because here's the thing. I think she knew her time was coming to an end. But while she was still with us, she wanted those stories to stay alive. And so she told the stories. She, she didn't want that information and those stories to be lost forever when she was gone. And I'm so glad she did. Before she passed, a couple of years ago, uh, I sat down with her with a video camera, and we talked for like an hour, and I just recorded it all. And it was it was really therapeutic after, uh, after she died. Um, I got to sit with my dad and my brother and, and watch some of those videos and hear the stories and, and hear her voice again. That was cool. As we close today, uh, when we look at the last five verses of Jesus' prayer, I think Jesus has a similar moment that my my grandmother had it's a moment that he uses to solidify what's most important to him and make sure his disciples hear it while he's physically still on earth i mean they apparently heard this because somebody wrote it down and he wanted to make sure that they knew as he's praying he says in verse 13 he says i'm coming to you now He's, he's remember he's praying so he's talking to god He's like, Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. The the world doesn't like the word of God. And these guys are going to find that out the hard way. So he says in verse 15, My prayer then, is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Did you catch that? He said, while I was with them, I taught them and I protected them. But I'm not going to be in the world. I'm coming to you. And so my prayer is not to take them out of the world. Don't make it easy for them. But that you would protect them from the evil one and when you look at the disciples story like they died for that word and that doesn't sound very safe you hear people be ridiculed and slandered for their faith and that doesn't sound very appealing right now i have friends that live in india and and uh and our our pastors there and i i uh see their posts on facebook and i talk to them when they're in the states and do you know that in India right now, there are militant, hostile groups from other religions who hunt down and murder Christians? Still happens. 2019. Still happens. That doesn't sound from an earthly perspective like we're being very safe, does it? Hmm. So what is Jesus saying? For God? Did God not answer that prayer? No. I think it's this, I think, listen to this, Jesus isn't as concerned about our safety as he is about our soul. You follow that? Jesus isn't as concerned about us being physically safe as he is about us being spiritually whole. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but instead that you protect them. From the evil one see someone who suffers in the name of Jesus is still in the loving hands of God in the end they're living that eternal life now and, and and if their physical life passes away their soul continues and they're in much better shape than someone who lives a plush life but with compromised morality and no conviction and giving zero honor to the Father with their life Jesus says in mark 8 36 through 37, he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus doesn't pull us out of hard times every time. Because there's times when He just wants us in the game. Maybe He just wants us to experience it, or maybe He wants us to be there for something more important. Maybe He wants us. Now, we're talking about the disciples today, but you've got to understand, modern-day Christians are, 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 are the disciples today. We are the newest iteration of the disciples in the church. And one of the biggest things that Jesus leaves us in the game for is so that we will be available and visible for other people in the world who are walking in darkness and that we can be the light that shows them the way. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus came to earth to fulfill a mission and He passed it off to these disciples and them being brave and bold and faithful it has changed the world. Yet that mission continues with us today. And I think that Jesus' prayer for you and me is the same as it was for them. That Father, protect them by the power of your name. And not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And he's given us his word. That's what he talks about. Uh, the word of God, it's 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 so deep. I mean, the word of God is like the things he spoke into creation in the beginning he said let there be light those were his words and then there was light and it was good and he, that's how he spoke everything into creation and then in, in the book of John it says his word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we beheld the glory of the one and only begotten of the father that's that's Jesus that God's word became flesh the incarnation of his word, like they manifest physically into a human body. And then we continue to have his word written down in scripture. And then he says in verse 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Sanctify them. Sanctify is not a word that we use very often, but it means like to set apart, to, um, to make holy, to kind of set outside of what the rest of the world is like and make it its, its own thing to be purified, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The thing that helps us get through the world, to be set apart, even to be sometimes made safe, but if if not safe, protected from the evil one, is the word of truth. He says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself. That they too may be truly sanctified. I'm not going to teach through verse 19. I could, but here's what I encourage you to do: uh, go and look up John 17:19, write it down. I just told you what sanctify means. Would you not mean, jump on Google, get a dictionary, get a good understanding of what the word sanctify means, and then then just read verse 19 again and study it yourself. Write it down. For them I sanctify myself, that they too might be truly sanctified. You'll, you'll appreciate the work you do on that. And in verse nineteen, that's the end of of Jesus' prayer for the disciples, and that's where we're going to stop today, but I don't want to just wrap up I like just just stop i I want to come together with a single thought for us as we close out this 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 lesson. I think the message for us today remember this prayer was for those disciples, but I think the message for us today is clear. As Jesus prepared himself for the greatest act of love in history, his mind was clearly on two things. First, the people that he loved. You'll see in next week's lesson that that's even even more true than I could even state today. And secondly, his mind was on his mission, that he wanted to make way for people to know and be known by the Father. And he saw that his prayer for his disciples is that as they had the opportunity to interact in the world, they could share truth with people and it would change everything. Jesus famously said in John 8 31 to 32, he said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what Jesus wants from the disciples and for the disciples. And that's what he wants for us that we will be set free. That we'll, be, that we'll be free from the powers of the evil one, and that we'll be able to bask in the glory of the light and the truth and the love and the grace of God through Jesus. Thanks for sticking around with me today as I, as I rework through this lesson. And uh, thanks for being a part of our podcast regularly. Seriously, I mean that. It's, it's humbling to know that you would go back and listen to the things that we teach at our church. Um, my encouragement for you is to do what Jesus called the disciples to do. Shine His light into the darkness of this world and it would change everything for the people that you encounter.